Good morning and Happy New Year, Christ City Church. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning, even if it is virtually. I hope and pray that you had a meaningful and restful, reflective, and a safe holiday season. Today is our first Sunday in this new year of 2022. Uh, listen, I got to tell you, I love New Year's. I'm a sucker for like turning the page, whether it's a new page on the calendar, marking a new month. I even like the start of new weeks, as weird as that might sound to some of you, because in each turn of the page, it marks for me a chance to, to start over and to start again. I like, um, I like getting new journals and like new notebooks into which I'll make new entries and write new notes and I'll make new lists. I'm a list maker. Even if some of those lists will simply be old lists from 2021, but they'll be in a new 2022 journal and it'll be new and I'll be all the more resolved for a season to accomplish those things anew. One year, uh, a few years ago, uh, I got a little overzealous with my affection for new starts that I decided I was going to take up a new hobby. And that hobby was tennis. I never played tennis before. I'd never played up to that point. I still have never played for reasons that will soon become apparent. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought, hey, it's a new year. I'd like to play tennis. And I think that Lisa would like to play with me. Um, Lisa, to my knowledge, had never played tennis, nor had she ever indicated a desire to play tennis. But undaunted, for Christmas that year, I bought two tennis rackets and a box of tennis balls. I wrapped them up, placed them under the tree, one with my name, one with hers, because a new year was coming and new years are great times for new starts and new hobbies. And we were going to start playing tennis in that new year. Christmas rolls around. Lisa was so confused when she opened her gift to me. She's like, babe, tennis, we don't play. I don't know how to play. What she did not say was, babe, I love you, but I'm not playing tennis. <laughs> I got a little overambitious with my desire to try new things and to start new things. Nevertheless, undaunted, I'm charging ahead into this new year. I'm charging ahead with a lot of hope, with a lot of joy, with a lot of anticipation, because I'm anxious to start again. Some of you this year, you might start a new hobby. If it's tennis, hit me up. I got two unused, light new rackets that I've been hanging on to just in case. Some of you might start new careers or new jobs or new relationships. Some of you might start living in a new place or start living into new rhythms in an old place. This new year, whether we like it or not, know it or not, it'll bring something our way for which we are not ready. But Jesus is. And we can rest confident in that truth. Having said all that, I'm not immune to the weariness that so, so many of us are carrying into this new year. With the ongoing raging pandemic and another round of restrictions and an ongoing vitriol in the public square, ongoing injustice and continual disregard for the humanity of those that bear God's image, it can be hard to look at the arrival of a new year with hopeful anticipation. Yet into this moment, I suspect that Jesus might say to us what he said to his disciples who found themselves in a particularly chaotic moment when, in John 16, he reminds them that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart and be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. 
One of the things that has been stirring in me uh, and that I want to repeat here again is that this new year, whether we like it or not or know it or not, it will bring something our way for which we are not ready. But Jesus is, and we can rest confident in that truth. For our time this morning, uh, I simply want to encourage you church. I simply want to bring an encouraging message as we begin this journey that is to be 2022. Throughout 2021, we have been about a great many God-honoring tasks. We have worked to seek God's kingdom and to see God's kingdom come in every life, in every sphere of life, in D.C. and beyond. And to that end, we've been reaching the community. Uh, we've been supporting the neighborhood with food and resources and care and presence. We've been caring for refugees. We've been supporting the work of racial justice and equity in our city and in our church. We've been about the faithful task of, of understanding the scriptures and understanding the scriptures implications for today. We've been about the faithful work of discipleship and outreach and mission. And what I want to share this moment, this, the first opening days of 2022 is a word of encouragement and a word of reminder that even in the midst of uncertainty and unease, that God is with us. Jesus is present and the Spirit is leading us forward. This morning, I want us to look at two passages in Matthew, two passages wherein Jesus is leading the disciples to a place that is unfamiliar to them. If you have a Bible or you'll see it on the screen, I want us to take a look at Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27, where we'll pick up a story of Jesus and the disciples on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, beginning in verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples, they went and woke him up. And they sang, Lord, save us. We're, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves, they obey him. In this passage and in this scene, Jesus is taking the disciples from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. But this was more than just like a transportation journey. It was more than just like a, you know, afternoon boat ride. Jesus is taking them from a place that they knew to a place that they didn't. The, the Sea of Galilee, it's actually, it's quite a beautiful place. It's, it's really, for the most part, it's tranquil. Those storms show up often there. I had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land several years ago, and the Sea of Galilee is far and away my favorite place of all the spots that we visited. It's gorgeous, it's tranquil, and it's wild, and it's filled with meaning for us that follow Jesus. The Sea of Galilee is located in the northern part of Israel. It's about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and it, and it was a boundary place. It was a, it was a border place. It was a dividing line. It was a place of division geopolitically, and it was a dividing line theologically. It was a place of division ethnically and culturally. It was, it was the first century version of what some might refer to as the train tracks. On one side, the eastern side, it was Jewish. On the western side, it was Samaritan and Gentile. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't cross each other. They, they, they hated one another. 
Samaritans and Jews, they, they weren't just different, they were enemies. Theirs wasn't a benign difference born out of different beliefs and different geographies, but rather theirs was a deep hostility. They, 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 hostility they held towards each other. Because at different times in the histories that these two groups had, they engaged in real violence towards one another. 150 years before Christ, Jewish armies completely destroyed the Samaritan capital. When Rome conquered the region, Samaritans were known to join the Roman army and then use their soldier status to harass and oppress the Jews. This back and forth violence had escalated and receded throughout the histories of two peoples, histories that were thousands of years long. They had had killed each other's countrymen. They had stifled one another's flourishing and well-being. Each other's blood was on each other's hands. And what separated these two groups was the Sea of Galilee. It's the sea that Jesus was now calling the disciples to cross with him and to go to the other side. On one side for the disciples was the comfortable, the known, and the familiar. And on the other was the hostile, the unknown, and the unfamiliar. The thing is, the, the reason that Jesus was taking them from one side to the other, it was he, he wanted to do something in them. We also wanted to do something through them. We wanted to shape them on this journey. The other things about seas uh, is that um, oftentimes in the Bible, seas, uh, they're not just border places. They're, they also represent chaos. In Scripture, seas almost always represent the chaos of the world, and they represent the antithesis of the kingdom of God. We see this in the earliest chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1, verse 2. Well, the author writes, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see it in Exodus, the, the, the Red Sea, the, the seas, that which was chaos and terrifying. It had to be parted. It had to be moved aside so that the children of God could pass through. In the prophet Jonah, when, when the storm came upon the sea, Jonah was tossed into the abyss. He was tossed into the tempest. And that was the Mediterranean Sea where he was then swallowed up by a sea beast, the great fish. Seas represented chaos and tempest and turmoil and, and anarchy. And above all, they're to be avoided. And the Sea of Galilee was no different. On one side, Jewish, comfortable, familiar, the place I know my way around. And on the other side, unknown and terrifying and hostile. And yet in this story, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is telling the disciples to leave where they are and to go where they are uncomfortable, to head to that which is unfamiliar. And how are they going to get there? They're going to go through the chaos. A storm storm overtakes them. Terror fills all of the men that are in the boat. But Jesus controls the seas. Jesus, he, he controls the chaos. He controls even the unknown that is, that is up ahead. Christ City Church, you might ask, what is up ahead for us? Uh, and child of God, you who are hearing the sound of my voice, if we have, as we have passed from one year and into a new year, the pervasive question is, well, what's ahead for us? What am I going to jot down on these new calendars and these new journals I've just gotten? And I got to tell you, while I don't know all the specifics and particulars, here's what I do know of what is ahead for you in 2022. Storms. 
Storms are ahead. Happy New Year. Um, storms, uncertainty is ahead. Fear is ahead. Chaos, wrong turns, and which ways and no ways and U-turns. Those are all of the things that are ahead. And yet, what I know about 2022 is that Jesus is with you through it all, in the midst of it all, asking you to place your faith in him. Jesus is there when things don't go so well. In the, in the passage, Jesus calms the storm. He's, he's displaying his power and control even over the circumstances of life and of nature. And they finally cross over to the other side of the sea and they arrive in Samaria in a particular place that's called the Gadarenes. Sometimes it's called the Gerasenes. And the story picks up again in, in Matthew 8, this time in verse 28. Verse 28 reads, When he, when Jesus... And the disciples, when they arrived to the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men come from the tombs and they meet him. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. The story goes on and, and what then happens is that Jesus engages the two men, sees them as the image bearers of God that they are, and Jesus casts the demons from the men, thereby freeing them from the bondage that they have been subject to. However, in a fascinating turn of events, Jesus cast the demons out of the men and into pigs, which then the scripture says in Matthew 8, 33, he said to them, go, said to the demons, go. So they came out and then went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. However, after the pigs died, the townspeople rushed out. And rather than celebrate the liberation of the two men, they expressed frustration over the loss of the swine. And they asked Jesus to, to leave their region. So just to recap the story so far, Jesus crossed the sea, calmed a storm, healed demon-possessed men, and then in light of these miracles and these displays of power over the natural and spiritual, the demonstrations of the liberating nature of God's kingdom, they were met with no welcome. They're met with no celebration, with no appreciation, but rather rejection. We actually like for you to leave, Jesus. And so in reply, what does Jesus do? He strikes him with lightning. No, that's not what happens. Matthew 9, verse 1, Jesus stepped into a boat. He crossed over and he came to his own town. He just left and went back home. The thing is, this year, you might do all the right things. You might do what you were supposed to. You might accomplish what you hoped to. And you still might not get the affirmation you hoped for. Your hard and faithful work, it might not get you the results you're praying for. You might do all the right things, yet not arrive at the shore that you hoped to arrive at. And what I want to remind you of is that Jesus is with you. God's presence is with you. Even in that disappointment, even in those questions and anger that are born in the place of pain, that God is with you in the disillusionment. <clears throat> later in Matthew's gospel, six chapters later to be exact, Jesus and the disciples, they, they cross the sea again. They cross the same sea, same sea of Galilee, same body of water, same boundary as before. They don't head to the exact same spot, but another bank on the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat again and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Sigh. Don't be afraid. In this scene, same place, same sea, another storm. There's not as much fear this time, though. Because they know that despite setbacks and failure, despite the tempests that surround them, they know that Jesus is in control. And Jesus, this time, he comes walking on the water. This time, Jesus doesn't just want the disciples and us to see him controlling the storms, but he wants us to see that he even walks on them. Even that which represents chaos is under the feet of Jesus. Initially, the disciples think Jesus is a ghost, but he reassures them. He says, hey, listen, take courage. Lay, lay hold of courage. Don't be afraid. He states the most common command in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Jesus offers them reassurance in the midst of the seas. I'm with you. Do not be afraid. The same thing he implored them the first time the disciples were in the boat, in the sea, and in a bit of trouble. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Have faith. It's I. I am with you. Again, church, we're not sure what's ahead but we know that Jesus is in control and his words to you and to me is to take courage. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Jesus walks on the water, makes his way to the boat with Peter in tow, who has since jumped out of the boat, started walking towards Jesus on the water, which is a sermon for another time. Jesus gets back to the boat, gets back to the disciples, and they arrive on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. But this time their welcome is different. Matthew 14, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This time... Jesus and the disciples, they're greeted and they're received by the people. And word spreads that Jesus has arrived and there's joy and there's hope. And they, they bring the sick and they bring those needing healing. And, and they were ready to receive Jesus and they, they wanted a peek. They just they wanted a taste and they wanted an experience of God's kingdom in their midst. And this time there's it's quite a different result when Jesus and the disciples arrive. And the thing is, there's a lot that happens in between Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14. Jesus feeds 5,000. There's this failed trip to the gatherings. There's false accusations made about Jesus. There's miracles. There's followers added. There's followers lost. And yet they get back in the boat and they start crossing from one side to the other believing that God still had something to do in them and through them. And they arrive on the other side, but with a different result. Beloved, some prayers take time. Some prayers take a second time. Jesus is with you in it all, through it all, because he knows more than all of us that some prayers take time. 
sometimes a long time. And some prayers take a second time or a third or a fourth. You, you get the point, and I suspect you've lived the point. A couple of weeks ago, on a Tuesday, we passed through the winter solstice. The, the longest night of the year. A dear friend of mine, Brian Roselle, a brilliant writer and educator and adventurer living in Alaska. He was writing on the occasion. He says this, says, tonight is the winter solstice. The longest night of the year. After passing through this darkness, we begin again with more light and more warmth, more growth and more abundance. He concluded his post with, may you receive ever more of God's blessings of light, warmth, growth, and abundance in the coming year. Solstice also marks the beginning of winter. And I love that we cross from one season to the next and from one year to the next in the middle of the night, the longest night. In my I like new things mind, it would make sense if we changed Calendars like in the spring, some sort of like nature's way of identifying new life and growth. And I realize that that statement is very northern hemisphere of me, but, but you get it. Nevertheless, a newness arrived. In the cold and in the dark, nearly undetected by us. Winter brings a clarity about it that can be lost in other seasons. And that clarity is what I often need when I'm readying myself for a new year or a new season. The leaves are gone, things have begun to die and there's a solemn joy in it. Arthur, author uh, Parker Palmer, in writing about the seasons and seasons of life, he has this to say about the clarity of winter. But for me, winter has an even greater gift to give. It comes when the sky is clear the sun brilliant, the trees bare, and the first snow yet to come. It's the gift of utter clarity. In winter, one can walk into woods that had been opaque with summer growth only a few months earlier and see the trees clearly, singly, and together, and see the ground they are rooted in. I've, um, I've shared this before, but it, but it bears repeating. One of, my, one of my favorite flowers are tulips. And I like them not necessarily because of how they look, but they're, they're beauties to behold for sure. I love tulips because of what you have to do to get them to grow. You, you plant tulips in winter, ideally before the first frost. But they don't grow until the spring. And, and, and you plant them when things are dead and, and dying all around. When you get them, you got to dig like six to eight inches down and it might be hard going because... The ground is like rock hard and super cold and you drop them in and you cover it up, cover it up with dirt. And if you have it, then you cover them up with mulch and mulch helps enrich them and it protects them. Mulch is essentially other plant life that's passed on and is dead and decaying and yet still has in them that which is necessary for new things to spring up and to live. And so you cover them up with all that and then you just wait, you go inside. Make some hot chocolate. Warm up. You just wait. And while you wait, it's going to get crazy cold. It's going to like snow over the top of a, might ice over. Storms are going to come. 
It's going to rain, might thunder and lightning, might even hail. Depending on where you are, you might hear like tornado sirens. But the tulips are going to remain. They're going to remain buried there. You might even forget that they're there. But just when you've forgotten, months after you've dropped those onion-looking suckers in the ground, they're going to pop up with brilliant color, exploding onto the surface, reminding you that some prayers take time. Some prayers that you've forgotten that you even prayed other prayers that you prayed in the long cold of the winter but were dormant until just the right time in God's providence and his guidance and in those tulips arrival God says to you take courage God himself is with you always with you so here's what I want you to do this week I want you to make your way to the garden store I want you to go to Frager's, Jinx, Home Depot, Lowe's whatever you got Get you a sack of tulip bulbs and plant them. If you find yourself over here on 8th Street Northeast in the next few days, I'm going to leave a bucket of bulbs on the steps of the office. Come by and take what you need. And as you plant them, I want you to pray. Here's the thing, though, with the tulips. You're kind of behind. See, tulips should be in the ground by now. But I consulted some folks, both in person and online, and universally what they told me was, bro, just plant them. Give them a shot to grow. I looked at the Netherlands Flower Bulb Information Center, which I feel like if anybody's going to know what the what is with tulips, it's like folks in the Netherlands. And what they said in their information center is that no matter what, you're better off giving it a fighting chance in the ground and letting it waste away in the garage or the cupboard. Flower, flower bulbs are notorious survivors by nature's design. Every year, stories abound of bulbs that bloom after being planted under the most improbable circumstances. I suspect there's prayers that you want to pray this season. Prayers that you may have prayed last season and it didn't work out the way that you thought. You arrived at a certain shore you didn't want to or, or didn't expect and you met a response that hurt you. And you're afraid to pray that same prayer again. Let your bulbs be an invitation to pray again to the Lord, letting him remind you that some prayers take time and some take a second time. And hear Christ saying to you, take courage. It's I. I'm here. So when we leave here, plant that bulb. Pray those prayers. And let's trust the God of the universe that in his providence, his grace, his mercy and love, that in 2022, we might experience ever more light, more warmth, more growth, and more abundance.